And I would just call modern day Christians to go back to that because that could just make Christianity explode again and have this awakening of the church getting out of its building, getting out of its large parking lots, getting out of all of this and getting into the trenches, if you will, and helping the most at need, which is what we were called to do from the very beginning. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking In Good Faith today with Andrew Robarge, who is a veteran of the U.S. Naval Reserves, deployed to Afghanistan in 2016, and now teaches history at a K-12 charter school, the Basis Flagstaff School in Flagstaff, Arizona. His proximity to the Navajo Nation has pushed Andrew to develop community drives to support both the Navajo and Hopi through food, water, clothing, and firewood drives. Over the course of the pandemic, he volunteered for the nonprofit United Natives, which completed over 30 supply runs of critical supplies like hand sanitizer, water, and cleaning supplies to chapter houses throughout the Navajo Nation and the Hopi Reservation. Andrew, thanks for speaking with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is really a great project, but it's something that has always been kind of a problem, but it sounds like it really got worse during the pandemic. So what we found is this is is already a very desperate part of the country that needed a lot of help and a lot of support. And you just look at it from a historical standpoint of the treatment of the original Native American people by especially the United States government uh, has been pretty abysmal from a historical record. And a lot of those deficiencies were only even more highlighted at the height of the pandemic. You had numerous families living in multi-generational houses. So you would have a grandparent and then the parent and then the little kids all living under one roof. And when that happened, when one person got ill or was exposed to the virus, an entire generation or multi-generations were exposed to it as well. So the pandemic really swept through the Navajo Nation and really, really affected them greatly uh, through the course of it. So it's one thing to think, wow, this is a bad situation. Somebody ought to do something. But you took the next step. What was the first thing you did? How did you get started in this? My wife, uh, Rebecca, is a doctor, and she finished her med school on the East Coast and then her residency in Phoenix. And the people who paid for her med school were the public health service, specifically the Indian Health Service. And so we actually moved up to Flagstaff and we're actually deployed up here in Flagstaff. And so she works with the Navajo Nation. And essentially, what we heard is that this one lady, Rosalina, who is an elder on the Navajo Nation, she really needed firewood. This Again, this was before the pandemic. This is BC, before COVID, right? <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, well, we'll get her some firewood. And so we went and bought some firewood and I drove out to the Navajo Nation after school. I met up with one of the nurses that works with them and I dropped it off. And you get a firsthand look at you know, what she is dealing with, some of the most basic necessities that I think a lot of us just take for granted, the ability to just go to a white box on the wall and push an up arrow or a down arrow for hot or cold. 
it, that doesn't exist for so many people that are so close to us. I mean, we're not talking another country, another continent. We're talking a half an hour down the road. And I, I saw that firsthand. And I was able to speak with Rosalina, who actually spoke Diné, the language of the Navajo. And I was able to just converse with her through Irene. And I remember driving back from the Navajo Nation that night, almost indignant. I had this sort of palpable rage, if you will. It annoyed me. I was so unbelievably frustrated. Like, this is America. How are people living like this in the richest country, essentially in world history? How do we still have this? And I think that just lit a fire that has just really been burning brightly uh, for the last, geez, it's been a couple of years now. So you got home from that experience and was this just a, at first a personal project or did you immediately start saying, hey, let's get other people together? It was initially more of a personal project, but what I found is the ability and the interest that the everyday American has in, in interest in just helping people is incredible. Americans are incredibly generous people. Uh, the data proves that and the billions we give away to aid. And in my experience, I've seen that as well. So what I found is a, a lot of people just didn't know. They had no clue that one third of people on the Navajo Nation don't have access to things like a stable source of heat. And once you bring that to people's attention and then you give them a way to support, whether it be a GoFundMe account, a Facebook and Instagram post, something on Twitter, and you say, hey, I'm collecting firewood, I'm doing this or that, you get a lot of people who are just, oh my goodness, yes, I can support. I can do this. I can spend $6 here. I have wood sitting in my backyard. Do you want it? Come get it. It's been aging for years now. And so once that initial meeting with Rosalina, it's really expanded greatly from there. And so I really, I try to bring and incorporate my kids into this as well. My, when my daughter was three years old, she learned how to use a wood splitter. And so she would come out and push the handle down, push the hammer down and split the log. She, you know, she had ear protection. I bought her little kid gloves. She had ear protection, eye protection, but my, both my kids will come out with me. They'll split logs. They'll load up families, whether it be from Dene Hutso, uh, Loop, Bird Springs, on the Hopi, wherever it is, they'll load up families. And my hope is that they'll see this happening and really sort of remember maybe some of these lessons of service and watching out for other people. And we always have this conversation about you know, who does God tell us to help? Who does he tell us to serve? And I, they always come back like everyone. I say, absolutely. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, you, you, we've got to help them. We always have to support people who are in need because we have so much. And so I think the idea of service is even more palpable when you go out on the, to the reservation or do wood drops or families come in and pick up stuff and you meet other kids who don't have any of the opportunities that my kids have just for being born in my family. Just as far as getting wood, I, I picture you walking out and chopping down pine trees in Flagstaff, but <laughs> there, there must be some organized way that you did this. I like to think we, we worship a God that is all in our business, that wants to be in our business, that wants to take an active role in our lives and wants to, you to see his work. So where I saw this almost immediately, and this is where the wood operations have expanded dramatically, 
the Coconino Forest Service was doing this massive wood giveaway. And so I got my truck fueled up. I was all ready. I woke up at, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. I drove out there. The line was already incredibly long. I'm talking hundreds of cars deep to go and get it up off of Mount Humphreys. I waited there for a couple hours and then realized like, this isn't going to happen. There are too many cars. The giveaway is not going to give. And so I turned my car around. And as I'm driving back down the mountain, I'm just sitting there just verbalizing this prayer. I'm like, what, what is going on? Like, come on, God, like people are cold. People need heat. Like what, how is this happening? So I run over to the local Sprouts to go grab something. And as I'm not kidding, this is like within 45 minutes of saying that prayer and going down the mountain, I run into one of my good buddies, Tyler Williams, and I'm just like pouring out to him. And I'm just like, man, I I can't believe it's so frustrating. We can't get firewood. And he listens. He goes, hey, man, I work for one of the developers. We're dropping trees all the time. We can get you free wood. I was like, what? It just blew my mind. Like literally within 45 minutes of despondency to 45 minutes later being like, yeah, we have more trees than we know what to do with. And we throw them all away. And ever since then, uh, we have had a surplus of firewood uh, that has been coming through of various woodlots that we've been able to procure. So it has been, it has been unreal the fact that the ability of God to just be like, I got this. I told you I got this. And I delay, I'd be like, he doesn't have it. Oh, this won't going to work. And then he's like, no, I told you I got this. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Shield of Faith Ministries and United Natives working together now to help this happen. United Natives is an organization that was founded by Dr. Crystal Lee. She is from the Navajo Nation, and she saw this incredible need. And she uh, reached out to a couple of the doctors up here in Winslow, up in Flagstaff. That's how my wife got involved. I got involved. And when all the schools shut down, I had a lot more free time to do these drives. So my house ended up being a point of delivery for just tons and tons of supplies. So just random Americans that had heard about United Natives, heard about the plight of the Navajo and the Hopi, we started getting just pallets of delivery. And it got so crazy. I think I got on a one-on-one basis with the lady who was delivering the mail and it got to such an extent they began sending their own mail truck just to my house to unload. They filled up an entire mail truck that were delivering supplies to me of hand sanitizers, uh, wipes, cleaning supplies. And so that was the United Natives thing, sort of the umbrella And underneath United Natives, one specific church we got linked up with was Shield of Faith Ministries run by Earl and Irene Behe. They're based out of Bird Springs, which is about a couple miles outside of Loop, Arizona. And Irene is a nurse in Winslow with my wife. So I linked up with her through my wife. And they just have this incredible network and this ability via their congregation to pick up supplies, distribute supplies, get them to people in need. And so they have essentially become almost a point of delivery within the Navajo Nation. And they have been sort of our main group that we work with to this very day as we hopefully are coming out of the pandemic. 
So how were you raised, Andrew, that you couldn't just leave it when you knew somebody was in need? You know, I think a huge portion of it, of just seeing people in need and wanting to help people in need. My wife has been enormously impressive in this. She has been with the Indian Health Service throughout med school. She has gone over to India and done a medical mission trip in northern India to these very remote villages. And so she's a huge inspiration of just like this selfless action to just try to help just a group of people that really need help. And so I really see my wife as a huge inspiration for me. Is that typical for you that you express things like that in prayer and that you receive answers in one way or another like that? I'm a very stubborn person. I'm an incredibly stubborn person. So I feel a lot of times like I don't really listen. I don't hear the whispers. So it has to be just like this backhand to the face to just wake me up to be like, whoa, okay, so this, this is happening right now. <laughs> I would love to say that I like lean back and be like, yes. I'm trusting this time, but goodness gracious, I am, I am, a, I'm not a good student. I have to just keep getting reminded by either people in my Bible study or especially my wife, Becky, she'll remind me so often, like, why are you stressed about this? He has come through every single time. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe next time or the time after <laughs> I'll finally wake up. You mentioned Rosalina and seeing her need and dropping off wood there. Are there other times you've been able to not just send things, but see where they ended up and who they ended up with and see the difference that made? The short answer is I actively try not to do that. And the reason being is I want the deliveries and I want the supplies, especially the firewood of since then, I really want them coming from Navajo or coming from Hopi, helping other Hopi, helping other Navajo. I really want it to have a Navajo face of, you know, Navajo helping other Navajo, Hopis helping other Hopis. And I am more than happy to be the man behind the scene, if you will, making sure the supplies have a steady flow. But if, if it's someone from the community helping another person from the community, it's community helping community, it's building up the community as well. And I think that's just really powerful for community members to see other community members as the, as the help. That's really wonderful. And something that people are often not aware of is, is the need to involve people and not just sort of swoop in like, here I am, let me help. You know, volunteerism, a lot of times I feel it's it, it's fun to do volunteerism, if you will, right? You go down to Mexico, you do this or that, you take a couple of pictures with the locals, and you're like, wow, we're such good people. And then you post them on Instagram. But, you know, I just, I, it, just it has to be something that's impactful and lasting. And that, I think that's where I sort of stand on that. You're listening to In Good Faith from BYU Radio. Today we're speaking with Andrew Robarge, a middle school history teacher in Flagstaff, Arizona, who worked with United Natives and Shield of Faith Ministries to support families in the Navajo Nation and on the Hopi Reservation with firewood, water, and clothing drives. In a moment, Andrew discusses his experiences in Afghanistan with the U.S. Naval Reserves, where he served as an intelligence analyst and advisor to the Afghan military in 2016. Later, Andrew talks about what inspires him to help others. 
You know, they say uh, that there are no atheists in foxholes, so I don't know what your deployment in Afghanistan was like, but does that have some influence on what you're doing, or was that just a whole separate part of your life? I, I think it's a whole separate part of your life, but you you lean on God so much more. You know, the Bible talks about, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and, you know, sort of things like that. But that takes on like a literal physical meaning, you know, when you're suiting up to go outside the wall and you're putting on your bulletproof vest, you're putting on your Kevlar, you're putting on your helmet, you're lock and loading your M4, making sure everything is squared away. And then before we would head out, we would always get everyone together and we would just sit there and just, oh, it's like a physical, a mental, a spiritual thing where you're just like praying to God. You're like, don't let me die. Like, I want to come back, like help me, protect me. And so when you talk about this, like shield, if you will, or the breastplate of righteousness, you're like, it's right here. It's literally, it's 40 pounds hanging on me uh, right now. And I think that, really uh, brought that idea home of just like the power of prayer and how much you lean on it and how little uh, you had control. You know, I I can remember we went up north uh, to this small town called Kunduz and we were meeting one-on-one with the Afghan divisions up there. And the biggest problem they were having throughout the country uh, were called green on blue attacks. And what those are is that the Afghan interpreter or the Afghan soldier or the Afghan officer you're working with would turn his weapon on the American or on the coalition partner. I had two, they're called guardian angels. And these are two guys, uh, they were from um, the Netherlands, they were Dutch. And they would walk in front of you and behind you. Their whole responsibility was to guard the advisor, which is what I was. So I could, I could focus on the Afghan that I was working with. And before we went out, we would pray together. And they weren't churchgoers. They weren't, I don't think they ever really grew up in the church. But I remember one time we were about to go out and I had forgotten to pray. And one of them grabs me. He's like, sir, sir. And, you know, this very thick Dutch accent. And he's like, aren't you going to pray? Oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so we would pray, but you know, that, that power of prayer and that almost, I don't know if the word is visceral reaction that you're having to prayer is took on a whole new meaning to me, especially in regards to protection. It seems like you're very comfortable talking about your relationship with God with other people. That's been, yeah, it's been a big change. Uh, It really has. I used to feel kind of uncomfortable with it, but I think I felt more at peace with it. Because the more it becomes a more integral part of your life, it just kind of just flows out of you naturally with conversation. If you think of your faith life, what are the things that bring you the most joy? I think for me, it is seeing a God that is nowhere close to a clockmaker, right? When God created the world, he did not just roll a clock, wind it up and let it go and step back. He is, he wants to be in your life. He wants a relationship. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants you to invite him into your life. And he desperately wants to show you how much more you can do through him. That line of going up Humphreys. Sure. I could have sat in that line for probably another three more hours and maybe got a truckload of wood, maybe a cord of wood. 
But by going through that experience and then going through that hardship, he's like, boy, just, just wait. I'm about to blow your mind <laughs> in like a couple <laughs> months here. I'm going to rock your world. You thought you were getting a cord of wood. How about I drop hundreds of cords on your head? And then maybe you'll wake up to me being like, I created the universe. What do you think? A couple cords of wood is hard for me? Please watch out. I'm coming through. <laughs> Andrew, what should I have asked you about this whole project that I don't know to ask? You know, um, you all mind if I preach to you for a little bit? Go for it. Okay. And one thing I would love to just recommend to the listeners of this, uh, there's this incredible pastor. His name's Timothy Keller or Tim Keller. He's He's a pastor up in New York City, and he wrote this book called Generous Justice. And that he holds nothing back in calling out the church of what its mission should be. And he talks about in, in scripture after scripture after scripture of God's love is for the poor, the destitute, and how we have to start helping and getting involved in people's lives. And, you know, that goes all the way back to Genesis. It talks about, uh, you know, we're created in God's image, Imayo Dei. And if we're created in God's image, that means every single person in this world has a little bit of God in them. They have dignity. They have a sacred human life. You cannot just sit back and not help fellow Christians, but fellow human beings that are imprinted by God. You know, you know we're called who to support. And it's like the vulnerable, the poor, the homeless, and the refugee And what's amazing is people seem to forget about those. And then how in the world do you read the gospels? Jesus was all of those, right? His family, they were refugees. They had to flee to Egypt because Herod tried to kill them. Um, He was incredibly poor. His parents could only offer, I think it was the two pigeons as the offering, the poorest offering. He was vulnerable. He was born in a manger, for goodness sakes. Uh, You read about his time traveling around the disciples and he was homeless for vast majorities of it. So this idea that, you know, to turn your head on these, we, it's incredible. We can't. You cannot. It, from the example of Jesus, uh, from the example of God all the way back in Genesis, these are the people we must 100% support. And I think just the challenge is, you know, you can say you're a Christian, you can say you're a believer, but if you are not following through with concrete actions, especially directed at the poor, the impoverished, the refugee, the immigrant, the most vulnerable, you know, we read in the book of James that that faith is dead. That has not changed your life. And you must realize that the whole purpose of the Bible is to change your life. If you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, he will call a fundamental change in your life. And I guess I would just, you know, challenge the listeners that get ready for it, man. It's a roller coaster. It's a wild ride, but goodness gracious, it is so worth it. Well, I'm hearing lots of echoes of the first and second great commandments and Matthew 25. When, when did we see the hungry and naked and cold? So one thing I constantly hear and one thing Keller talks about this are the objections that you hear and just, you know, some of the most obvious objections, especially being in America, where a lot of people are like, well, I've I've earned this money. This is my money. My money is my own. This is my name on the visa. I guess some obvious retorts that you get from God. Nice. Your money is your own. Interesting. My son, Jesus is my own. I didn't keep him. I sent him to save you. Right. So that's one, you know, the poor are undeserved. I hear like, oh, the poor are undeserving. They're lazy. I'll just buy it for alcohol because they'll just get drunk or use it for drugs. They're undeserving. And just 
the retort to that, especially from Christian audience, is like, so we are deserving? What makes you think you're deserving of God's grace? Like, get off your pedestal, right? I'm not deserving. You're not deserving. Goodness gracious. And he still sent his son. The poor, oh, they'll just waste it. We haven't wasted God's love. I mean, goodness gracious, of course we've wasted. I waste it all the time, either in rage or anger or all these times I slip up personally. The other one of like, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just, you know, work harder. And it's, that's not what Jesus did for our eternal salvation. He didn't say, pull you up by your bootstraps, do it all by works, do it by yourself. No, Jesus recognized you cannot live a perfect life. That's why he came to earth, lived the perfect life, and then died for our sins because we could not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. So it just, all these objections are just, it is so clear that they all can be put aside. Someone who is no friend of the early church, it's Emperor Julian, Roman emperor. He hates the church. He despises the church. And in one primary source I found, which is fascinating, he says, quote, nothing has contributed more to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. And I think that just beautifully encapsulates what captured so many people in the Greco-Romans' attention of this upstart religion of Christianity. And I would just call modern-day Christians to go back to that because that could just make Christianity explode again and have this awakening of the church getting out of its building, getting out of its large parking lots, getting out of all of this, and getting into the trenches, if you will, and helping the most at need, which is what we were called to do from the very beginning. Andrew, you can come preach at any church I go to anytime. Andrew Robarge <laughs> is joining me via Zoom from Flagstaff, Arizona, where he is a history teacher at a K-12 charter school. Andrew, thank you so much for sharing your faith and your stories with me today. It was an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you so much for your time, and have a wonderful day, everyone. This episode was produced and edited by Heather Bigley, a new addition to the In Good Faith team. For an upcoming episode, we're looking for your stories. If you have a story about how art impacted your understanding of a religious belief or strengthened your faith in some way, share it with us. Simply record your story on your phone's voice memo function and send the recording to ingoodfaith at byu.edu. If you have suggestions for people who have a great story to tell about their faith journey, email us ingoodfaith at byu.edu. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. And if you enjoy the show, be sure to leave a five-star review or comment where you get your podcasts. Our Twitter feed is at InGoodFaithBYU. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, in good faith.